Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Loki, Episode 2, The Variant. This is Slash Film Editorial Director, Peter Serretta, and joining me on this podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Okay, as with all these episodes, we like to do this in segments. We do our uh, the feedback segment, which answers some of your questions, emails, uh, some some updates since the last episode. We go into our brief reactions. Then we'll do a beat-by-beat -beat breakdown of the entire episode, and we'll end the episode with speculation. So let's start with feedback. And... Um, <laughs> If, if you've been listening to the show for any regular amount of time, then you know that feedback usually has a section I like to call Pete was wrong. And <laughs> that, uh, this week it was I a billion people wrote into us to correct me that I kept on saying Morbius when uh, Owen Wilson's na uh, character's name is Mobius. So I don't know how that happened. In my notes, I wrote Morbius. I knew it was Mobius, and I just kept on saying it. And Brad, why didn't you correct me? I, I must not have heard like the the R and how you were saying it. Oh <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Apparently, uh, you know Owen Wilson's character. Uh, we'll just 
break this into our brains. The character's name is Mobius, as in the Mobius strip, which is like that infinite loop. Not Morbius, the living vampire, which is also in Marvel. So, okay. Um, we, we got an email from Mike S. And he writes in, and I'm not sure if I have an answer for this. Maybe, maybe you do, Brad. He wanted to know, how does Loki, this Loki in this show is from the Avengers 1, right? He was captured at the end of Avengers 1, and he leaped out of that time. How does that Loki know that the Avengers time traveled? Because when he gets in front of the judge, he like argues that the Avengers like messed everything up by messing with time. I well, I think he's just basing. I don't think he knows the extent to which that what they did, but he it's clear that they did travel through time because he makes a crack about um, smelling two Tony Starks because of how strong oh. his actor shave is. So he could tell that there were some Avengers there that weren't <laughs> supposed to be. So I guess that's the w- the way to write around that. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's fair enough. Okay. Um, Last week, we honed in on the line, I'll gut you like a fish, and we were trying to figure out what movie it was from. Brad, you came up with an answer. It was from Ron Howard's uh, Grinch movie, but I think that wasn't actually the movie that I was looking for. Yeah, it's it's not. I actually had a conversation with a friend about this, too, and it's it's probably more likely a reference to Scream. Yeah. Especially since the, uh, isn't the character's name, what's the character's name he's talking to? Is it Casey? Yes, it is. And that's the name of Drew Barrymore's character in the opening of Scream. So Yes, this is I'll Get You Like a Fish, Casey. And I'm, and I'm assuming Jim Carrey's line in The Grinch was him, you know, a reference to Scream because that came out four years before. That's true. Yeah. Um, the other thing we learned today is I think last week we were asking, you know, why is this show on Wednesdays? All the shows so far have been on Friday. Why is Disney Plus moving things to Wednesday? And we have an article on Slash Film today from HT, and you can read that. But basically, it seems like Loki just did perform so incredibly well, and it seems like Disney doesn't want to compete with Netflix on for the weekend. So having their own day in the middle of the week is probably going to be where things end up. Like they, They've announced they're shifting things. So Monsters at Work, Turner and Hooch, Behind the Attraction, Chip and Dale, uh, Turning the Tables, The Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse, Growing Up Animal, Short Circuit Season 2 are all switching to Wednesday. So I'm guessing when Mandalorian and those shows show back up, maybe those will be on Wednesday or, or will they? I don't know. Actually, it says original movies will continue to bow on Fridays. So, so I guess Wednesday is the new Friday, Brad. We can take the rest of the week off. Okay, that sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. Um, any any thoughts on this, Brad? Are you, are you happy or mad that now we're going to be discussing things midweek? Or, um, I don't know. Like the 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 slash film side of me is a little bit frustrated because having this stuff happen in the middle of the week is kind of a clusterfuck. Um, but at the same time, I guess it's better than having a bunch being with a bunch of other stuff on, on Friday. I don't know. There was something about like looking forward to this stuff happening on Friday that, uh, I don't know, made it more fun. And I guess was a fun way to like go into the the weekend. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm torn. I was going to say, I was going to say, I almost felt like people had the time on the weekend to watch these things. And now it's, it feels like. There's going to be some spoilers going around and stuff. Yeah, probably lots more complaining about about spoilers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you want to write us for the feedback section, I can't promise you that we're going to read your email on the air. 
But if you want to, you can send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at com, and we might end up reading them in a future episode. And please leave your name and gener- general geographic location so we can mention it on the air. So let's jump into this. Uh, let's talk about, let's give our brief reactions for Loki episode two, the variant. Uh, so yeah. And we should probably point out that we have an episode title for the first episode. Now we didn't at the time we recorded that episode because we saw an early screener for press uh, and it didn't have a title attached at the time, but that first episode is called glorious purpose, which is very fitting. I feel like it, we should have played a game, Brad. We should have tried to guess the episode title. Yeah, we but... probably could have. Yeah, probably could have. Okay, so let's give our brief reactions for episode two of Loki. I'm going to say I, I like this one even more than the first. And I was a big fan of the first episode. I like that there's more world building, more rule explaining. Uh, but it it felt like we got to have more fun with it, where the first episode felt like a lot of um, them explaining things. And uh, the time jumping in this episode feels kind of like what I wanted Doctor Who to be. I'm one of those people that tried to watch Doctor Who and gave up after two episodes. So, uh, HD probably hates me for that. I, I'll probably give it a chance at some point. But like this has the fun of that time travel that I, I kind of wanted. And I'm sure it's probably in there somewhere. Um, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson are just such a great buddy duo. And I just love their interactions. Brad, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I absolutely love this episode. This is actually like one of my favorite episodes of Marvel television we've had so far. It's, you know, as as much as everything in the first episode was right up my time, my alley as far as time travel and dry comedy. This takes that to uh, another level. Um, It it makes the the story more engaging as it adds a new layer to the variant that they're chasing. Uh, There's just a lot of cool things that are happening here. And it's just it's such a stylish series. Tom Hilson and Owen Wilson's banter continues to be fantastic i love these long conversations they have that develop their character while still providing us with some some exposition as well um it's it's not as as exposition heavy as the first episode like you said which i appreciate it and it gets us into like the time crime pursuit uh part of the series so yeah it's um it's picking up steam quick and i'm just so excited to see you know where this series continues to go okay let's jump into it let's go into our breakdown the the beginning of this episode, uh, we see some Minutemen show up in at a 1985 Ren Fair, which is kind of a, a fun play because at first you're like, oh, are we in like, you know, medieval times or something? But no, it's just 1985 people trying to pretend like they're <laughs> of, uh, in that timeline. And they're there to investigate some Nexus energy. And they're in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Why Oshkosh? So that's actually, uh, it seems to be anyway, uh, a bit of an Easter egg reference that digs into uh, the history of Marvel Comics, because um, Oshkosh in, in Wisconsin, which is a real place, um, was actually the home of Marvel Comics editor slash writer Mark Grunewald. Um, he's from that town. And interesting, so if you don't know his name, he is actually the creator of Flag Smasher, Battlestar, and U.S. Agent, all characters you should know if you watch The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, and another interesting tie that he has to this series is that the character of Mobius, not Morbius, um, was originally drawn to resemble Mark Gruenwald. And the reason that Mobius has that signature mustache is because Mark did. So there you go. Okay. Um, so we see the hooded, cloaked Loki. Um, I guess, well, let's, uh, for the rest of this episode, I mean, I'm assuming everybody's 
that's listening to this that's watched the episode. Let's just say the variant. We'll, we'll yeah, leave. let's say the variant. Uh, they use the Minutemen against each other. Uh, they The variant takes one of the Minutemen hostage and leaves through a time door. So the fun thing about the sequence is it takes place while the song Holding Out for a Hero by uh, Bonnie Tyler plays over the loudspeaker. What seems to be like, for me, the only reason that this scene takes place in the 80s, but I don't know. Um, who is the hero we're waiting for, Brad? Is it Loki? <laughs> who knows? I, I'm going to say this on here because originally we put it in our Easter egg article, but it kind of felt like it didn't fit in with the rest of the others and was just kind of an aside thing. I immediately thought that this might be a reference to Shrek 2. Did you think of that at all? Oh, I did. that didn't occur to me. Yeah, because all. because the end of Shrek 2 features this like, uh, you know, sequence where Shrek and all of his friends, human Shrek even, are like assaulting <laughs> the castle after Prince Charming uh, and Fiona have been been married and there's a celebration and it's set to a cover of Holding Out for a Hero. Um, and it has this like epic feel to it. And it, because of the Renaissance Fair setting and everything, I wondered if maybe it was uh, an allusion to that. So it, I wonder if we'll be able to get like confirmation on that one day. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so Loki is sitting at Mobius's uh, TVA desk. He's reading the jet ski magazine that he has there, and he's talking to Miss Minutes, who is now apparently off the screen, quizzing him about the timeline. It's, it's like a hologram minutes uh they use this moment to explain uh when a nexus event branches past the red line that's the point that the tva are unable to change the nexus event and could lead to i quote the destruction of the timeline and the collapse of reality as we know it period so they're obviously setting this up for later in this episode when that happens or is going to happen. Yeah, well, yeah, it doesn't quite get to red line, but a bunch of, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> first of all, I love the world building of this world. I, I know I've probably said that way too much. I, I wish they would explain, as much as I love it, I wish they would explain it a little bit more because for instance, in Loki's situation, how does this work, Brad? Maybe you have a better hold on this than I do because – they have taken him out. Like he's now removed from a, the Avengers one timeline, right? So he doesn't go back to Asgard and he doesn't go on to do all those things. So wouldn't that cause another, another timeline? Cause the fact that character isn't there anymore. I've been thinking about that too. And I'm not entirely sure. Um, but yeah, because like, obviously they've, you know, Mobius used the fact that Loki's fate in that timeline is something that resigns him to death no matter what. And so, but yeah, I'm wondering what happens, you know, to to the timeline if he's not there. Because he's a variant for leaving it, which means he was supposed to stay there and follow that path. So, yeah. Like, like they don't restore another Loki or another version of Loki or anything, right? As, I mean, as far as I know. So, yeah, that, that's a very good question. And... Yeah, I, I honestly don't have uh, a good a good answer for that. I really don't. Yeah. I really don't know. I mean, I'm a person. Back to the Future is my favorite movie of all time. I love time travel stuff. I'm a, I'm a nerd like that. So I just feel like they had to have thought of this. Like they they probably have a reason, and I'm just wondering why they haven't even dropped it in there. Like in you know Miss Minutes saying in the background or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Mobius shows up, gives Loki a TVA jacket that says variant on the back, which is kind of funny. 
Um, I should mention, oh, after last week's episode, uh, I, I, w- I went to um, Disney California Adventure, recently opened Avengers Campus, and it was interesting. When, when I was there, Loki was in his God of Mischief outfit, the big green outfit that we we know from, you know, when he was in the original Thor movie. But after that episode dropped last week, they changed Loki out with his, like, TVA jumpsuit, and he was accompanied by two Minutemen in the park. And uh, I'm sure if people don't go to Disneyland a lot, they don't know the, like, the significance of this, but usually stuff in the parks take a lot of time. Imagineering is like months, if not years behind things. So like, for instance, if you meet Thor in the parks, it's the costume from the first Thor movie. Like they, they haven't bothered to update it. When you have like a big hit, like Coco or Moana, like it, it seems to take like a year later before you see the character in the park, because like just the parks are on a different timeline than the movies. And um, where was I going with this? Oh, because he has a new outfit. I'm wondering if in the parks he's not going to have the jumpsuit anymore. Is he going to have the jacket that says variant on the back of it? That's my question. Are they going to update it every week? Anyways, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm getting too off off track here. Uh, so they are briefed on the variant's appearance in the 80s and say it's unclear what kind of Loki they're dealing with. And uh, joke, Loki jokes that it's the lesser kind. And here we, we see like... There's a projection showing a bunch of different Lokis. Like there's a frost giant Loki. There's a version of Loki that I guess he won the Tour de France. There's a Viking version of Loki. Um, Brad, maybe you can explain this to me. And where do these other versions of Loki exist? I think that potentially they have knowledge of other variants that have existed before maybe at one point i mean because loki is pretty because they say he they say they're very familiar with loki because they've pruned a lot of loki's so that means they've dealt with those loki's in the past yeah well i I guess maybe it's from oh yeah actually this make this makes sense so loki's a variant right right now yes so there's probably been plenty of other times as we saw you know in the tva office of where people have tried to escape the timeline and mess things up, which is why they've, you know, collected all those infinity stones and all the other stuff from people who have tried to time travel and do things that would mess up the sacred timeline. So presumably they've probably encountered some other Lokis who have tried to do the same thing, creating mischief by time traveling and screwing things up. I'm just, I guess I'm just confused because we're led to believe that there's only one timeline. So there's only one multiverse, right? There's not other multiverses, but it, seems to me like there's other multiverses. Well, I think that maybe what it is is like, I don't know, Mobius says like time works different down there. So maybe because they can see into the past and into the future and time seem every time seems to exist almost all at once, that maybe that's why, that's how those variants came to be, but they've always stopped them. So there's never been any actual separate timelines, but just different time points from the sacred timeline, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it does. <laughs> okay, so Loki argues the semantics between duplication casting and illusion projection, which to me sound very much like the same thing. Uh, Loki is there to be an expert to catch this variant, and they're leading him 
By the way, this whole thing gets ex- kind of complicated, Brad, because we're now calling the female Loki the variant, but the male Loki is wearing a jacket call saying he's the variant. Well, whatever. Okay. Well, we'll just continue. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, Loki's there as an expert. He wants to help them catch the variant Loki, and they're leading him on with the possibility of meeting the timekeepers. Like that's what he wants to do. He obviously has his own agenda here. Uh, We get more rules of this world, including that they can't just show up at the moment the Nexus changing event happens or before it because that destabilizes the time flow, which doesn't make much sense to me, but at least they had some kind of reason rather than not a reason, but okay. Um, I I really love the dynamic they've kind of created here with the Minutemen who don't trust Loki, but Mobius is the one person who kind of believes and wants him to do good and help them. And uh, yeah, anyways, I, I, don't know, I, I, just, I just like how they've kind of set up that d- dynamic. Uh, Loki tr- lies in an attempt to get a meeting with the timekeepers but mobius calls him on it and they reset the timeline by setting off the reset chargers which we are told quote prune the affected radius of a branch timeline allowing time to heal all its wounds so what what actually happens when one of these things one of these charges reset time i think it's exactly what we talked about with that first episode where it resets the timeline to how it was before that interruption from the variant took place. So it removes anything, including the variant from the situation. So like they were never there. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, Mobius meets Ravona Renslayer. Is that her name? Ravona Renslayer. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) The judge from the first episode, which, for some reason, I didn't think I was going to come back in another episode, but apparently she's a main character. So uh, she in, in the comics, this character first appeared in Avengers 23 in December 1965. It was created by Stan Lee and Don Heck. Uh, Ravana is was the daughter of King Corelius, a ruler of the 40th century Earth. She eventually met Kang the Conqueror and became his lover. Um, and basically what I'm trying to tell you, Brad, is it doesn't seem like there's much of a comic book backstory that's going to be used in in this TV series. But she is a character from the comics. And I think the one the one thing you can gather from the comics is that she has a gifted intellect. Also, I do think that there is a way that some of her comic history can be used in this show. And I already have a feeling that Ravona mm. Renslayer is somebody that we shouldn't trust. Hmm. Okay. Uh, bring that up when we get to it. I will. So Mobius is meeting with Ravona. Uh, she sh- shows us that he, that Mobius has a lot more in common with Loki than we thought. That he has kind of a soft spot for broken things, and Mobius argues that maybe Loki is going to change. And Ravana says it's not possible unless the timekeepers decree it. Now. When she said that, and I was watching this the second time taking notes for this podcast, I was thinking to myself, timekeepers are – this is kind of like a minority report situation here that we have here. Yes. Where if you've never seen minority report, well, pause this podcast and 
go watch that movie because it's awesome. But, uh, you know, it has these people that kind of predict the future. And what's to say that they couldn't be wrong? So I, I guess that's the thought that came into my head here when she's saying, you know, it's not possible unless the timekeepers decree it. What if the timekeepers are wrong? Can, can they be wrong? I mean, that's a good question. It's is it the timekeepers who are predicting what happens or is it the timekeepers who are allowing what happens to happen? You know, at what point does something that happens in the timeline become something that they want to change or something that they need to change to preserve the timeline? If, you know, I, and I think that that is what, what, what that would be the larger question is whether or not the timekeepers are actually keeping time or controlling time. Mm, yes, that, that, that that's where I was headed with this. So I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, Mobius, and by the way, we know nothing. We've seen this one episode. This is all stupid theories. Yeah, all that, merely speculation. Yeah. Uh, Mobius asks how they were doing, and Ravana says, how do you think to which Mobius reveals to us that he wouldn't know because he's never met them? So when I'm taking notes the second time watching this over, I'm, I'm thinking about this minority report. Like, you know, maybe they could be wrong. Maybe they're like, maybe they're controlling time. And then it occurs to me that, you know, none of the, our, our main protagonists have met these timekeepers. We just see like these, these statues, these monolithic statues of them in the city, like in, in her, the judge's office, there's like these like, almost looks like armors of them and they're like in her in her uh chamber there was like those big faces in the background and also last week uh i I think i mentioned in the credits that there was a propaganda poster in a locker that said always watching and i said it was one of the watchers but i i I incorrectly identified that that was actually one of the one of these timekeepers so there's like propaganda like they're always watching and whatever and i'm I'm just wondering you know in the comics these timekeepers actually exist they're these three reptilian creatures like humanoid reptilian creatures and uh we i guess i'm wondering is it possible that the timekeepers might not even exist that they might be this thing that is presented to these people of the TVA to keep them in line. And I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to see some like religious and cults allegories in the show that like maybe. Oh, for sure. There, there's something bigger going on here. What do you think? Yeah. Part of me is thinking that if the timekeepers ever existed, that maybe they haven't been around for a while and that maybe there's somebody else who is pulling the strings of the TVA. Um, yeah, the Wizard is, of Oz. Yeah, this is where my lack of trust for uh, uh, Ravana comes in because I feel like she might be acting on somebody else's behalf and I don't think that it's actually the timekeepers. And the reason I mentioned Ravana's Marvel Comics history potentially coming into play a little bit is there have been some hints that maybe Kang the Conqueror might be involved in some way. Um I'm, I'm going to throw it back real quick to episode one because we didn't get to dig into these details because uh, we hadn't yet, you know, really taken a look at close Easter eggs or anything like that because we recorded shortly after we had seen the first episode. But at the end of the first episode, when the Minutemen end up in Oklahoma and they find that like weapon that looks like a futuristic shovel that has glowing elements, 
when they put their little tablet in front of it to identify it, they mention it being from the third millennium, which is another way of saying the year 3000. And do you know what Marvel Comics villain comes from the year 3000? Kang? Kang the Conqueror. And something Hmm. that's also a little bit interesting, and this is something that I just personally noticed, is that uh, if you look at the animated PSA about the timekeepers and what the TVA does and everything, when they have the three timekeepers lined up, the one in the middle has a blue face. Do you know which Marvel villain has a blue face in in the comics? Kang the Conqueror? Yeah. And the animation of that blue timekeeper also somewhat resembles the face of Jonathan Majors. Do you know what villain he's playing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, hold on. Let me... This, this, is, this, is, this is probably... This is an easy one. Hold on. Uh, King the Conqueror? It's King the Conqueror. <laughs> so, so basically, King the Conqueror is going to be the Mephisto of the season <laughs> where we, we just keep on saying it's King. It's King. Pro- probably. Um, yeah. but, I, but I do think that this... I don't know. The theory about this holds a little bit more wait and make sense because if the timekeepers are the keepers of time and the quantum realm is the method by which you can travel through time, uh, it would stand to reason that Kang the Conqueror, who is supposed to be the villain in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, uh, you know, would probably be familiar with both time, time travel, and the quantum realm. And I, I feel like that there's the potential here for Kang the Conqueror to be like a fallen timekeeper or something like that, or even a banished timekeeper, um, you know, mm. who, who has now become uh, a villain for whatever reason. So this is just me thinking out loud. I honestly have no idea. It could go, you know, any, any which way, but I do feel like that there's some interesting connective tissue here. Hey, we've been right with our theories in the past on this podcast, but we've also been very wrong. So, so take it for what it's worth. Um, also worth noting in the background of the scene, we see this tape to tape machine on the wall recording the entire meeting. So who's going to listen to this meeting? I, I guess we're to assume it's the timekeepers. Sure, probably. I mean, at, at this point, I feel like th- there's just so many bureaucratic rules and things they have to follow to keep track of time and everything. That's just one of those, you know, mundane things that they do just the same way, you know, detectives record, you know, interrogations and all those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, we are also told that they are closely monitoring this case and they need this variant caught, which kind of makes me wonder, like, can the timekeepers not see the results of what the TVA does? Does that make sense? Because, like, they're able to see all of time from beginning to the end. Well, I can think they- I wonder if that's maybe what makes this more about time control or, as opposed to timekeeping, because if they were really just keeping, you know, keeping time, then you would think that they would be able to see what the outcome was of this, but maybe it's the existence of these variants and branches of the timeline that make it so that they can't control what's happening. Good point. Okay. So Mobius signs some papers and comments on the Franklin D Roosevelt high school pen and comments. That he doesn't remember this pen and that it must be from another analyst. So this moment here, I know some people have said that, like, have suggested that it's like an Easter egg. I forget. What was the Easter egg you brought up from Nerdist? Uh, I think it was something with uh, Franklin or something being like the name of Reed and Sue's kids or something like that. Yeah, that seems like a stretch to me. When you have a protagonist on camera say, you know, comment like, oh, what is this? Usually it's not like some kind of far 
seeking Easter egg reference, usually it's like, oh, you want the audience to also ask, hey, what's this? Remember this thing for later. Um, so I get, so my question is what, what is this? What, how does this relate to anything? We know that Franklin, uh, D Roosevelt FDR was the 32nd president of the United States. He served from 1933 to 1945 and was the only U S president to have served more than two terms. Um, he's been mentioned a couple times in the MCU so far. Uh, most notoriously Phil Coulson mentions the FDR formed the SSR, which was the uh, basically the predecessor for Shield, what what turned into Shield. So there, I mean, there are some MCU connections, but I think there's something more here. I don't know what it is. So we'll put a pin in this. I mean, I, I guess we could also just acknowledge that maybe this is a moment establishing the fact that. Mobius believes that Ravona has some kind of secret close relationship with another analyst that might come back later on. Yeah. I mean, whatever this is, I think that this, this is one of those details um, that jumped out to me that immediately feels like the kind of thing that when a detective thinks back on a conversation or situation, it's like the one clue that makes them realize, Oh, this is what's really going on. So I think that that this, this passing casual reference to you know, uh, to, to Ravana having, you know, some, uh, some other agent that she's sweet on who like she's work works with in the same way that she does Mobius um, is actually somebody who maybe whoever is pulling the strings and behind whatever, whatever's happening. Um, and th- yeah, there's something more going on there. Yeah. I do want to mention that I did look up the school, the high school, and there are a bunch of schools that are FDR high school uh, one of uh, the most notor- or like the biggest ones. One, there's one in Texas, and there's also one I think near Brooklyn, which I've seen some people say like Captain America went to FDR High School, but there's there's really no I think connection. There's nothing in the movies or the comics that I think connects to that. And um, even even uh, Peter Parker, who went to school around there, I, I went to some other school. What's his school? It's have it on top. some science academy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Let's move on. But I, I do think I will argue to the death that there's something here. <laughs> this is just like a small, like Easter egg, to some kind of Marvel reference. Um, Especially because you... it's not really a Marvel reference. Like there's nothing yeah. like tied to like that high school or FDR or anything that like it would be like a, a cute little, you know, Easter egg. There's nothing specific. So like it, it has to be important somehow. You know what? I'm going to plant my flag here. Uh, I'm, I'm coming up with this on the seat of my pants. I think that one of these adventures in the next four episodes is going to bring them or mention FDR High School. And that's when he's like, they're either going to have to go to like, you know, uh, the variant is at this high school doing something or whatever. And that's when he, uh, Mobius is going to realize. Yeah, I think that's probably a safe bet. Yeah. Okay. Uh Loki thinks he's kind of like hot shit because <laughs> Mobius lays out his entire double cross plan to seize control of the TVA from the timekeepers. Um, th- this whole back and forth interaction here, I think is like great and just shows how awesome like Owen Wilson is. I'm just so glad he's in this. When they first announced he was cast for the show, I was like, that's weird, but yeah. I'm, I'm just, yeah. And what's even better is like, He's not necessarily doing anything particularly special per se because he's still just being his normal Owen Wilson kind of self. But it's I think it's that contrast 
and his like just that that wry humor that he brings and how it works with Loki that makes that character work so well. Yeah, it's also that there's I don't even want to say world ending stakes because it's not it's universe ending stakes here and like he's just being Owen Wilson and kind of casual about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um they go down this elevator in an enclosed atrium which I'm 99% sure is the hotel in Atlanta that I've stayed at a bunch for set visits. This is the the Marriott Marquis. Oh yeah, the 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 lobby of the TVA when Loki was introduced in the first episode is like yeah. it's a they they clearly took the you know the towering halls and everything that you when you look up and just kind of modified it a little bit. Yeah, if you've ever been there, you you recognize this from a lot of movies and TV shows. It was the Capitol uh, Tribute Center from the Hunger Games movies. It's like a almost 500 feet tall atrium. It's, it was the largest in the world upon a completion in 1985, and it, it recently I think got beat out by some building in Dubai. But yeah, okay. Um, they they get off at floor 372, which is a nod to Thor issue 372, which is saw the debut of the TVA. So good reference there. Um, which by the way. Brad did this whole article with Easter eggs and references. I'll link that in the show notes. You have 11 of them? Yeah, 11. 11 different references. So uh, check that out. And, and, gonna... and to clarify, too, one thing that I, I want to say that we do is there are a lot of Easter egg articles out there that list things that aren't really Easter eggs. Uh, for example, the identity of the variant being revealed in this episode. Someone like making that an Easter egg or making like the TVA an Easter egg because like this is from Marvel comics. And it's like, well, no shit. Cause it's an adaptation, but like we're digging into like details where they're like, there's like hidden meanings or references, like deep cuts that you wouldn't otherwise know about. Yes. True. Okay. So Loki is left by himself in the library and learns the only file he has access to is actually his own. Uh, looking at his record, he sees the cold numbers for the for what happened on Ragnarok. The destruction of Asgard resulted in nearly 10,000 casualties, and there was zero variance energy detective. Loki is having a, a real emotional reaction here, and, and Tom Hiddleston does a great job of being able to balance, like, you know, time travel with superhero, with what he's whatever he's doing here. What do you think he's feeling here is, is it regret is it the sadness of the loss of his the people the people that adopted him or yeah is it that he had no choice it was destined it was destined to happen no matter what i think that i mean maybe a, maybe a little bit of all the things but i think mostly that no matter how much he likes to distance himself from really being you know uh as guardian or from showing any you know sense of feeling for these people who adopted him or anything like that i think that you know he as we saw in the first episode he really does have feelings for those closest to him and regrets the role that he's had to play as the god of mischief and uh, you know knowing that this this was his you know essentially his home um even though it's not really where he's from like that's where he was raised that's where he grew up so yeah i think that it's, it's hitting him in the same way that you know seeing uh what his life would have been play out and seeing those that he would have lost, you know, hit him. Yeah. I just love that. Like this, this is just like this never ending library where they just have like papers on papers on every event that's ever happened in the history of not even, you know, the world, but the, the universe. Yeah. It's like, it's like all on papers. You got to access it. You got to like type on this old computer to find 
the, the file on the, the shelf. Um, okay. Uh, so this leads Loki's Loki to have an epiphany that the variant could be hiding in apocalypses, which is such a cool, cool idea uh, that you could do whatever you want because it doesn't change the timeline because of the location and time that you are specific at. And of course, um, they he explains this to to Mobius using like his food that he was going to eat. I do want to bring up here that Casey is back again, and he's in the background of the scene, and he's drinking Boku juice, which um which actually uh, Loki uses to pour into uh, Mobius's what was it cereal or whatever he was eating. Um, this is another soft drink featured in this show that limited time uh, soft drink. It was available from the, in the 1990s to the early 2000s and was marketed as an adult juice box. Did you ever have this, Brad? No, this is the first time that I've heard of it. Oh, really? It had these television ads. I got to send you one of these. It had uh, comedian Richard Lewis in these television ads, and he'd be ranting about how, like, children get to have all the fun things, and why can't adults have their own juice boxes? And This is a juice box, but it's not for kid. It even has, like, a you, – you don't use a straw, Brad. You, you like <laughs> – uh, what, what do you do that you like rip one like the the thing open so you can drink out of it and then every ad would end with him taking a sip and lewis would say to the camera is that too much to ask that was that was the thing Interesting. so yeah. The, yeah the whole point was there was <laughs> juice boxes for adults in the 1990s and uh it failed miserably but <laughs> um but i bring this up because I think this show has this obsession with limited time drinks. Last week I mentioned Beverly, which Loki was the the flight attendant tried to uh, serve Loki on the plane. But then also in this episode and last episode, Mobius is seen drinking like his favorite drink of choice is Josta soda. Have you ever had Josta? I haven't had Josta. Yeah, uh, we have a whole article on this from Vanessa Armstrong. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But it, th- this is a energy drink from Pepsi. It was actually the first energy drink that Pepsi ever made. It, they made it in 1995. It didn't last until the 2000s. It had a fruity, sugary flavor, and it was made of uh, guarana. And uh, their, their slogan was, better do the good stuff now. So <laughs> it, was, it was like one of those things where, like, you know, had a commercial with – an old man speaking speaking to a younger man and the old man like tells the younger man about his life as a youth and how he wished he had done had more fun and it'd be like Josta better do more good stuff now okay so uh, Vanessa Armstrong in this article tries to connect the dots and say that maybe Mobius loves Josta because he also loves other 90s era stuff like jet skis but I'm not sure if that's the case. So uh, now that we have three of these, Brad, like, do you think there's any, is this just a running gag in the background that the creators are doing? Or does this just say something about like, oh, the only people that can enjoy these limited time things that went away or like this TVA that they can go back in time and like get these, you know, even Josta had like their big fan community and there was like outrage when Pepsi took it away and like a big campaign of like bring it back and then they never did. Like, 
what do you think they're trying to say here? Yeah, I think it's just this fun little detail. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we got like a new drink from a different, different, you know, time every single episode, which would yeah. be really cool. Pepsi clear in the next one. And then what would be your favorite soft drinks that have gone the wayside? Oh gosh, that's a very surge. Good... Well, surge made a comeback. Yeah. Surge made a comeback. And so did crystal Pepsi. Um, Man, that is a very good question. Ecto cooler. But that made a comeback too. Ecto, yeah, Ecto Cooler also made a comeback. Uh, gosh, I don't. I, you know what? I will. What I'm going to say is I'm going to say quick chocolate milk, but the original formula because oh, yeah. at some point they changed it, and it's just not as good as it used to be. I agree. Okay, uh, <laughs> come back to me next week if you have any other suggestions of of soft drinks that that, that went away that should come back because I know you're into that. Um, Okay, they they go to Pompeii, test out the theory. Mobius wants to start with small by making bird noises, but Loki instead decides to go big and tell everyone that they're about to die and they're from the future. No nexus event is caused. My favorite moment of the episode, I think, is when Loki asks Mobius why he's obsessed with jet skis. And then Mobius like explains that most things in histories are kind of dumb and everything gets ruined eventually. But for a brief moment in the 1990s, there was a beautiful union of form and function. I just love that he's obsessed with jet skis and he's never ridden one, which, Brad, what does that mean? What does that tell us about the series? I mean, at some point, if we don't get Mobius on a jet ski, it's a huge missed opportunity. It's going to be in a climactic action sequence or it's going to be like the end credit scene for the last episode. Well, and it's got to be and it could potentially spell doom for Mobius, depending on how it goes, because he says something about if he does that, then he becomes a variant. Oh, hmm. and it also means that will probably end up sometime in the 1990s in a place like Miami or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so Loki challenges Mobius. By the way, I I, I, I apologize because I know sometimes we like to speculate on things, but sometimes it's like we, we use the show as like we're trying to solve a problem. But I my mind just thinks like that. I'm like, when someone brings this up, this is going to pay off later. So Loki's challenging Mobius's beliefs here. There's, Three giant lizards created by the TVA and everyone in it has been created by these three giant lizards. And Mobius argues that the existence, that existence is chaos and we just try to make sense of it. And we, you know, it's just chaos. Loki says that if everything has been predetermined past, present, future, how does it all end? Mobius says it's a quote work in progress that while the Minutemen protect or while the um, yeah, while the Minutemen protect what's happened before, the Timekeepers are untangling the epilogue of the infinite branches. And then what? When when everything is decided and they're like they they, they when they eventually because eventually he brings up the fact that like their the Minutemen their work is going to be done, like they will have ended all the branching and all the nexus events what then and mobius says when that happens it's going to be just they're going to meet in peace at the end of time so this is something we really didn't dive into last week and it's it's interesting and it's this is such a weird concept for a mainstream disney show and i love it it's just 
Hmm. Well, first of all, it's weird that this place was created by the timekeepers. All these people were created by the timekeepers. Brad, do we do we believe that? Do we believe that Mobius was actually a a being created by the timekeepers? I mean, I, I guess it depends on if you believe in the timekeepers, probably. Uh, and that that just gets into a whole yeah. realm, realm of existential questions that you know even permeate the real world. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's I suppose it's it's possible. See, here's where my brain's going, and this is probably like a way conspiracy theory corner at this point, and I'm sure this show is not going in this direction, but, you know, all the stuff registering kind of like a cult and kind of, I don't know, almost like what Mobius is saying, he just accepts the role that he has, almost feels how like cults indoctrinate like new members, and we've seen this with other, you know, sci-fi things of how like, you know, the stormtroopers abduct kids as as little kids, and then they get grow up to become stormtroopers, and you know, that's probably the worst example of this. But I'm I'm kind of wondering if like Mobius was like maybe a kid in the 1990s that was like abducted and is being used by someone for their own control of time or something. Oh, that's an that's an interesting idea. <laughs> Do you think I'm going too far out there? Um. Maybe I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. Mm, okay, that, that's, I I will admit that I think that's probably too far. But I don't know. I just feel like some underlining. Like it just seems weird that he's just okay with this role and never having fun and reading a magazine about jet skiing. And I don't know. I just don't see where where this is going. But and also at the same time, Brad. If you were a TVA member in this scenario, maybe there's a reason why you wouldn't want that time to come where everything's done in peace because then your complete purpose is gone. That's also a good point, too. Um, Another thing I just thought of, too, is I wonder if maybe there's, well, I don't know if maybe there's a chance that some of the, the TVA is formed by people who were going, who, who were once variants. Oh, that's a good point too. Like maybe that's why, maybe that's why he does have such a fascinate fascination with the nineties. Like it's something that he misses, but I don't know. That's a good point. Well, the reason why I brought up the people, the variants or they, sorry, the TVA members, maybe not wanting this end goal to happen and them to have no purpose is maybe that's why the, the, your theory of, uh, well, I actually, I'm not sure if Kang the Conqueror fits into that, but yeah, but that character, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll have to see. We'll, we'll put a pin on that. So uh, Mobius remembers the Kablooey candy bar, the variant left with the child in France. We saw in the last week's episode, Turns out that they were only sold on Earth from 2047 to 2051, which explains why I couldn't find anything about it when I was Google searching it last week. (laughs) Uh, They're able to track the candy uh, back to a Category 8 hurricane in Alabama in 2050. So, So Ravana pushes back against Loki's idea 
Lucky's idea is that look, uh, the variant is there hiding out in this category eight hurricane in a big superstore that has access to all the food and all the stuff they need. Um, is she really pushing back against this idea because she doesn't believe Loki or is it because she doesn't want Mobius to go back there and stop whatever's going to happen? Yeah, that's, that was my thought too. It's like, it's that, that she has a concern of that, that the, this plan is going to get found out. Yeah. Okay. So civilians in Alabama are using the superstore is called rocks cart as a shelter during this horrific storm. And uh, we're going to have an article, I think, on Slash Film about this. But this is the logo looks similar to the Roxxon Corporation, which originated in the comic books in 1974 in an issue of Captain America 180. In the MCU, it's appeared as a car sponsor on the Grand Prix and Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3. Uh, the false Mandarin, played by Ben Kingsley, shoots an accountant from Roxxon on live television. A Roxxon gas station was also the setting for a live action short film that Marvel did called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Thor's Hammer. And that's where Clark Gregg, uh, as Agent Phil Coulson, uh, stopped there. So the company has appeared a, a bunch of times in the MCU. It's appeared more times in like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Daredevil, Cloaking Dagger, but none of those are really canon. Anyways, this company is basically just used as like this big, huge company. It's big, you know. Whenever Marvel needs a big giant corporation, so there's that. Uh, do, do, do you think there's anything there, or do you think it's just a fun reference? Um, I think it's mostly just a fun reference, but it, it, I think it's also worth pointing out that uh, Roxxon had a key part to play in um, a certain Thor comic book arc that was the same arc that saw Jane Foster become the Mighty Thor, and that's something that that's coming up in Thor: Love and Thunder. So, could be a setup for a presence there, but. Uh, yeah, Roxxon is definitely one of those companies that just like it kind of gets thrown around as just this fictional corporation in the Marvel universe. Yeah. So they get there. Loki uses magic to dry his clothes. The Minutemen agents split up and won't let Loki go th- with Mor- Mobius. Uh, we pull out to see the cloaked variant watching security ma- monitors with a ticking clock counting down the localized apocalypse. Uh, they find the variant in the greenhouse. Uh, he's taking the form as of someone else and we see that the the variant can kind of take the form of whoever he touches, whoever he or she touches. He takes the form of one of the Minutemen. Loki asks me, I presume. And the variant says, please, if anyone's anyone, you're me. So uh, Loki and the variant talk and they walk by. A, <laughs> I'm not sure if you noticed this, Brad. Uh, I don't think you put in your your Easter eggs. But they, they're walking through the aisle of the Superstore and they walk past an Arm & Hammer logo. Which I thought was a fun uh, nod to Thor, and the the variant keeps changing between bodies. Loki tells the variant his plans to overthrow the Timekeepers, and offers the variant to be his lieutenant. The variant says that they are not interested in rolling the TVA. Mobius finds Hunter C twenty, the Minutemen agent that was taken hostage in the nineteen eighties. She's just repeating herself, saying it's real. What's real, Brad? She just keeps on being. It's real. It's real. I I don't. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm wondering too. Uh, she does say that she not to call the TVA because she gave away how to find the timekeeper where the timekeepers are, 
We don't know how to find him, but she apparently gave it away to the variant. Loki thinks he's real smart for figuring out where the variant's location was and argues that it makes him the superior Loki before realizing the variant's plan was to lure him there, lure them all there, and then blow them up and reset with reset chargers. Or at least that's what Loki believes. So for a moment there, he goes from like, I'm a genius to I'm an idiot, which I liked. Loki and the variant have a battle in the store, which is kind of fun. They use like vacuums. And there's like toy dogs and stuff. And then they final, finally the variant reveals themselves, removing the hood. It's revealed that it's actually a female Loki, maybe. It looks like a female Loki. It has like the, the horns and everything. And uh, by the way, the, the 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 actor is credited in the credits as the variant, and the the actress playing this character is Sofia Di Martino. Yeah, she's an English accent, actress who has been in a lot of stuff across the pond. She's uh, she's an acclaimed. Uh, she's like in this um acclaimed British dark comedy sitcom called The Flowers, which aired a couple seasons on Channel Four. Uh, but back to the episode, Varian tells Loki, quote, this isn't about you. And just then the countdown ends, the reset charges begin to initialize, initialize surrounding the store. We are led to believe that they're going to erase Loki, Mobius, the Minutemen, and everybody there. But just then the time doors open and send these charges elsewhere throughout time. We see back to the TVA monitoring the timeline, which is now branching off into many different directions, almost like a tree. So we now led to believe that the charges were sent to various places along the sacred timeline, all hands on deck. The TV agents, including Ravana, rush into action. You actually saw like there was an Easter egg in her office there, right? Uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's actually two. Because when she reaches for her baton that's on the shelf, it's on um, a shelf of what... Mobius refers to as trophies from other cases, including one that was apparently brought by uh, that, you know, agent that he thinks that she's also sweet on. Um, and he talks about a snow globe and that snow globe, you you don't really get to see it when he first talks about it earlier in the episode. But then when she grabs her baton, you can see the base of that snow globe and it says San Diego and it looks like a very uh touristy kind of snow globe that you might get get for like a gift you know for an uncle if you visited san diego or something like that and then uh i think that's probably might might be like a just like a a nod to like comic-con or something like that just for the fans um and then the second thing is uh ravana used to be a minuteman before she became a judge and her helmet that she had um when she was a minuteman is there and her designation is a23 and uh, that character first appeared in Marvel Comics in Avengers issue number 23. I like that one. That's a good one. Okay, so the variant... At first, it looked like she was waving goodbye to Loki. But then she walks into the time, gore, time door and like Loki follows before Mobius and the Minutemen arrive. And then that's how the episode ends. The episode ends with another big reveal. We've revealed that Loki is actually female Loki or... Is she? Which we can talk about in speculation. And uh, I don't know where this show is going because I thought this show was going to be Loki and Mobius kind of going through time trying to stop this other Loki. But now Loki is with Loki or the variant, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I guess let's just uh, before we get into speculation, 
Brad, uh, any thoughts on the ending of this episode? Um, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's a great reveal. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm also wondering this too. And so I guess, I guess now what they have to do is go back to these places where these charges were set and try and set things right or fix them or to figure out why those places were where those grenades were, were set, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, it doesn't seem like they have enough time judging by how fast those branches are moving off. And I'm, uh, I mean, I, I know that it's trying to be dramatic at the end of the episode showing that computer screen, but it really seems like they don't have enough time before it hits the red line. Yeah, for sure. And also I would like to point out too one of the things that I uh, point out in our Easter eggs article is that uh, when that event happens and the timeline is bombed, uh, there are several Marvel locations that fans should be familiar with that are listed um, alongside a wide range of uh, dates that were fun references to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Were you able to connect any dots? Were there like any dates or planets that connect to something? So there's like, um, it doesn't really seem like I, I try for some of these dates. Like I tried to dig to see if there was any like comic book issue reference that was hidden in there somewhere. And it was just, it was like, coming up with messy Google searches that was, that was tough to really pinpoint anything, but like, it's, you know, the references I think to the Marvel locations are merely just to like be there to, you know, as a familiar reference for Marvel fans. But then there were also some like real world locations that were put in there and I couldn't figure anything out about like why those would be important either. Cause like there were these uh, United States towns, uh, Kingsport and Cookville and Thornton, and Kingsport and Cookville are both in Tennessee, um, but I couldn't figure out like any big links there. There wasn't any like major event or disaster or anything that happened there. Uh, the New York 1947 was kind of an interesting one because part of Agent Carter takes place there. Um, and if you actually go look at our Easter egg article, I linked to an interesting theory that I think is more, probably just more of a theory than, than anything as interesting as it is. Because I guess in the first episode of Loki, when Loki's being apprehended by the TVA and brought in for the first time, if you look in the background, there's a woman who is like dressed in like forties, fifties clothing that kind of resembles Peggy Carter. And so there's a theory going around that maybe the TVA uh, could potentially be pursuing Captain America for violating the sacred timeline. Um, they're th- not from the infinity stones being returned, but from staying uh, back in the 1940s with Peggy Carter. Um, I don't think it's probably, I think that's going to happen because I feel like since we do you saw, think that's intentional or do you think people are reading into that? I think people are reading into it. I honestly think it's just a woman who is, was in, you know, happened to be in that older clothing and had a hairstyle similar to Peggy Carter because of the time period. Because if you try and think about it logically, like Captain America would have to be avoiding the TVA for a long time um, and constantly evading them, especially because we see him as an old man. And since we've seen how quickly a variant can set off the sacred timeline, you would think that if he was avoiding them for that long, that it would have created a multiverse event. And I guess that there's, it's possible that maybe that could be one of the many triggers that we're seeing that does create a multiverse event, you know, where we, we why we get timeline splits uh, and things like that. But I just don't think that it's likely. Okay, let's get into the speculation. So I guess my first question in speculation is who is the variant? Because it, it looks like like a female version of Loki, but I don't even understand how that exists because 
if there's only one timeline, there's only one universe. I would understand if there's an if there's multiverses and there's an a female version of Loki who could come from a different multiverse. And I know we've seen the trailer for Loki where there's a backdrop of like a destroyed city where we see like the Stark Tower from the Avengers movies. It's kind of in the rubbles of this destroyed city. So that almost makes me think like maybe she's from this other multiverse, but I don't know. It's kind of weird. This TVA thing is making us rethink what we thought about this entire Marvel Cinematic Universe because I feel like for a couple of years now, we've kind of been on the train of like there's different multiverses and we're like watching one of these multiverses and the TVA are kind of presenting the story to us that's kind of making us reconceptualize what is happening. Yeah, it makes it seem like the multiverse hasn't technically been created or I guess I guess technically recreated yet since there was a multiverse before and they fixed it into one main timeline. I guess maybe it's possible that there ha- that there are branches that have existed that either a the timekeepers don't know about or b knew about and let existed for whatever reason. There's also the possibility I'm just thinking about this now but if all this stuff goes wrong and it hits the red line and it starts these different multiverses that she is from one of the multiverses that she created, but I don't think she, she that doesn't work. Right. I mean, you can't come from another multiverse and then create the multiverse that didn't exist before you created it. Yeah. I get, yeah. Because they, they've already established at the time, time travel doesn't work the way it does in back to the future. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it well, but because the other thing, and this doesn't necessarily clear up any of our questions or anything like that, but uh, we'll talk about this because uh, in the credits, this character is still referred to as the variant, and even though we're assuming that this is the character referred to in Marvel Comics as Lady Loki, um, an international version of the credits that you can see from this episode uh, in the Castilian uh, Spanish version of the credits actually gives her a name and it's Sylvie. And funnily enough, uh, Sylvie is a character from Marvel comics that has uh, surprising ties to Loki. Uh, her name's Sylvie Lushton. She's a human girl from Oklahoma and she gains magical powers after the Asgardians settle um, new Asgard in Oklahoma. Uh, mm. And so it's interesting that As- Asgard has already been established in a different place other than Oklahoma after Ragnarok destroyed it. Um, so I don't know if there's anything to be gleaned from from that detail. But um, Sylvie eventually finds out that the magic powers that she is given that uh, empower her to take on the mantle of Enchantress, not to be confused with the villain from Suicide Squad. Um, <laughs> but her powers were actually given to her by Loki. And it seems like it, they were almost given to, to her as kind of for his own amusement because apparently he quote liked the idea of creating a mortal who suspects she's one of my kind. So he wanted to make her think that she was as guardian, that she had these magical powers when really she was just, you know, given them. Um, and you know, but she clearly has powers here. She clearly, well, I mean, she, and she does have powers like they're given to her, but this, but if she, if it's this character is Sylvie Lushton, then it would stand to reason that there's maybe somebody, pulling the strings behind that gave her these powers. And 
I think the prevailing theory right now, and this was something that was discussed not to this this detail, but that um, Richard E. Grant is also a cast member in this show. That's been that much has been confirmed, and the speculation has been that he will be playing an old version of Loki. So mm. it's it's possible that this is something that old man Loki has done for whatever purpose, whether it's just to mess with the timeline, causing mischief, or if he has some kind of larger plan. Um, but it's, and there's maybe there's even the chance that old man Loki is the reason that there potentially aren't timekeepers and maybe he's, uh, controlling, uh, Ravana as well. But it, it seems like if this, you know, accidental, um, naming of this character is actually Sylvie, that maybe this character isn't what we originally thought. How many Lokis do you think can be in the show named Loki? I mean, probably endless, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, the, that, that logo might make even more sense. That's that there's true. There's even more Lokis. But, okay, uh, we should talk about Lady Loki, who is who everybody assumed was the variant. And in the comics, after the events of Ragnarok, Loki was reborn into the body of Lady Loki because the comics are weird. And I don't know. They're too comic book for, for, for me at, at times. But uh, she, she definitely has the look of Lady Loki in the comics. Um, Isn't, well, doesn't Lady Loki have dark hair in the comics? Oh, does she? I think I saw like some panels with lighter hair. Uh, maybe I could be wrong. Um, I have not read those comics. So that is in my, my pile of shame that I've not gotten to. Um, but, uh, okay, let's, let's talk about something else for a second. Let's talk about what, what is the variance end game? Because at one point we thought maybe this is another version of Loki who is trying to, you know, take over the TVA wants to control the timeline. But at one point this variant says she's not interested in ruling the TVA. So what is she trying to do here? And, and also, if she's not trying to take over the TVA, why would she want to know the location of the timekeepers? Yeah, this is a good question. And especially because what she's doing is she's obviously trying to disrupt the sacred timeline. So how that benefits her or what she's trying to do, that that's yeah. remains unclear as well. Yeah, I don't have a theory on this one. So I guess we're just going to wait till next episode. Um, also... Uh, do we think the TVA is going to be able to stop any of these branches from reaching the red line? Or do you think it's just going to have, like, it seems like it's inevitable. It doesn't seem like they have enough people to stop all those branches, especially after Lady Loki or the variant or wh whatever you want to call her took out so many of the Minutemen, like in the, the preceding weeks to get all those charges. Doesn't seem like they have the, <laughs> the the uh the troops to, to stop all that so what was that quote i read earlier it was like we'll destroy time as we know it or something like that are we going to see that happen here uh i mean i at the very least i think there will be the threat of it you know we 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 know that this is something that will have huge ramifications on the marvel cinematic universe and we know that doctor strange and the multiverse of madness is coming so yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure because you know, um, Michael Waldron, the head writer of Loki, wouldn't say anything about whether or not the TVA factors into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because 
you know, they don't want to say whether or not the TVA, I guess, will still exist by the end of this series. Uh, it's mm-hmm. always possible that that's something that, that falls apart and is only here in this, this show for this time. And that when they crumble, that's, you know, why Doctor Strange has to deal with that multiverse of madness. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think it's at the very least where we're getting to the point where, like, something... We'll get some form of resolution, but it will also leave dangling threads for the future. Yeah, and by the way, that quote was the destruction of the timeline in the collapse of reality as we know it. Which, uh, yeah, sounds pretty huge. So maybe we don't want that to happen. <laughs> but <laughs> Maybe. Okay, uh, we're going to have to reconvene next week. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, did, did we miss anything, let us know at peter at slashfilm.com. I'm going to put a link. I'm going to put a bunch of links in the show notes because we wrote a bunch of articles on Loki this week on Slashfilm. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't get to cover. There's some great deep dives from Vanessa, from you, from HT, Uh talking about what this all could mean and um, how it could all fit together. So definitely check those out if you can. You can find more of all of our work at slashroom.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please go. If you like this episode, this is free. We don't even have ads in the episodes. If you like this episode, just take you know 30 seconds of your time. Go to Apple Podcasts write like a one sentence review telling everybody why you like it and uh, give us five stars that that helps people find this podcast and that helps us grow quite a bit. So thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you tomorrow. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.